Briscoe. Mm. Chose. Chose. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. Decadent. You know, it tastes like um, mm. communion wine. A little bit, yeah. But fizzy. Mm-hmm. My communion wine was never sweet. Oh my god, I found a movie on Netflix that's about a priest who questions his religion because he falls in love, a romance movie called The Good Catholic. Sounds like we should watch it. <gasps> I watch, I want to recommend it. As soon as I watched it, I was like, I want Isabel to watch this. <laughs> it's called Their Finest. It's on Hulu. The movie's on Hulu for streaming. And then it's about this woman who gets hired by the war office during the Blitz mm. to write what's called slop or the women's dialogue for oh, propaganda movies. Atherton's in it. Yes! I love her. She's so great. She's so pretty. She is. She's so arrestingly beautiful. She played Tess of the Durpervilles. <laughs> I still don't believe that's how it's pronounced. Uh, she was also, wasn't she in that great episode of Black Mirror with yes. Donald Gleason? Mm-hmm. His little flesh robot. Mm-hmm. She was also in Prince of Persia with Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Such a fucking nerd. <laughs> oh, I believe <laughs> Tessa the Dib. You might know her from Prince of Persia starring Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Fuck you, I am what I am. I got a little too drunk the other night, and I started watching Wormwood on Netflix, Mm -hmm. and I started crying because I was so excited that something with as many resources behind it as Netflix was investing in experimental essay films, Mm -hmm. because they also did the Jean Benet Ramsey Mm -hmm. one, which is a really exquisite essay film. People who think it's going to be a true crime revelatory thing are going to be disappointed. Anyways. Interesting. I love Wormwood. I loved it. I also found it deeply moving. Okay. I have not seen it. I've been watching Victoria. The TV series? Yes. I watched it. The second season? No, the first season. First season is so good, yeah. The second season is also currently working. I love how they represent the passage of time with her hairstyles. Yeah, I think that's super fucking fascinating. Also a really good way to do it. Yeah, that's brilliant. In the Mm -hmm. opening Mm -hmm. credits. Mm -hmm. God, I... I know what you're talking about. You know, I watch, like, an entire costume period drama on Amazon every Tuesday, my day off. <laughs> and this past Tuesday, I fold laundry. Pull dark. I watched Pull Dark forever ago. Uh, fucking come back to it. The third season was mind-blowing. Fucking mind-blowing. I felt like when I heard before the second season that they were like, we're not going to have him take his shirt off anymore. My initial reaction was, no! Oh, he <laughs> takes his shirt like, off a lot in the third season. It's because they were filming in February in Cornwall because it was fucking cold well, that's for the, the second other, season. Then I was like, I'm just as bad as every dude. Like, <laughs> like, Make him take it off! Fire him! Tell him you'll fire him if he doesn't do it! And I was like, I'm a monster. It was really cold. Anyway. I watched this new drama mm-hmm. on there Bleak called House. No. You know, I love a good 40s. I do love a good 40s. Period piece. I watched My Mother and Other Strangers. Ooh, how is that? I loved it. Okay. It was very formulaic BBC slash PBS stuff. That's fine. Brandon came in the room and he's like, they're going to kiss. <laughs> and I was like, they're not going to kiss. He's going to touch her shoulder, let his hand linger for a little too long, and then sigh, and they're going to part ways. He's like, no, they're probably going to kiss. It's 2018. And sure enough, he rested his hand on her shoulder for a little too long. They both sighed and parted ways. Yep. I love that stuff. God, I love it. Secretly, maybe for you, we should read an Amish romance. Ah! I love weird. It's very chaste. Of course it is. Has to be. 
It has to be. But also, like, there's an entire real estate of body that isn't tits or ass or erogenous zones of any kind. But, yeah. like... Erogenous? Is that how you say it? Is that how it's actually pronounced? No, it's like erogenous. Is this erogenous. a Dabberville's moment again? No, I just said it wrong, you jerk. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's an entire real estate of body that is, like, can be surprisingly erogenous. Yeah. I always assume I'm saying it wrong because I have so many times found out I've been saying it wrong for years and I've asked my friends why they didn't tell me I was saying it wrong and they're like, we just thought it was like one of your like funny little things. I mean, I want to correct you. Amazing. (laughs) All right. Okay. Ready? Yes. (sighs) Welcome to Romance, a podcast about romance novels. Bodice busters, sultry Caribbean nights, pirate ships, booty, pirate booty, <laughs> chubby dads, <laughs> emotionally available and unavailable men, slavery, <laughs> and women's agency regarding their own sex lives. But mostly the third thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Isabel. I'm Morgan. <laughs> and today on Moments, we'll be talking about. By Kathleen A. Woodowish. A lioness in her field. <laughs> Stop. A founding mother of the genre. Who sadly died in 2007. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Where's she from originally? Kathleen mm-hmm. Woodowish. United States. Etazuni. Etazuni. But like, where? Matter? She's she like, like a- she's geographically like anywhere. She's everywhere. She's inside of us all along. Yep. She is. Writing all of us. She is Mufasa. Sure. She is Mufasa. She is the parents from Tarzan. Mm. You'll be in my heart. Phil Collins. Shanna. So you wanted me to read this book. Mm-hmm. So I Tell will, me what it's about. I will tell you what Shanna is about. It's about a young woman. Is, <laughs> as they usually are. As they usually are. Who is the only heir to her father's sugar plantation mm. in an unnamed Caribbean island. It's Los Camelos. Right. That place, which isn't real. The camels. Because of all the humping that goes on. <laughs> There's a ton of humping. <laughs> anyway, so what's really weird about this novel is that like the first scene takes place in Restoration England. And she's going to Newgate Prison, which is also the place where they keep debtors. Mm-hmm. And she's looking for a husband with a name who's been imprisoned to be hanged. So that she can marry him before that, mm-hmm. satisfying her father's unreasonable deal that she get married while in England. Mm-hmm. And then he'll be dead and she'll be a widow and free to do whatever she wants on Los Calamos. That's where the story begins. Through a series of hilarious and strange mishaps, of course, her husband doesn't end up dead, ends up on the island that she lives on, uh-huh. but keeps her secret. For a how, s- how does he end up on that island? Do we want to talk about how he ends up there? Yeah, of course we do. Right now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't think there is a way to provide a tight little synopsis of this book. God, it's It's a thousand pages. It is 666 pages. 666. This mark of the beast. It is the longest book ever. Triangles. Illuminati. Lines. Going to other lines. This book is 666 pages long. 
Yes. I've read other Kathleen Woodowis, which I know you haven't. This might be her magnum opus. It's certainly maybe her longest book. God, it's so fucking long. Also, it is the one that takes the most paths. It is so twisty. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we move from Restoration England to the island, to a pirate ship, to a pirate den in Tortuga, like, back again, a hobbit's tale. It's like, we are every which way but wise in this book. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, we conclude in fucking Virginia. Yeah. Um, the colonies. Listen, I know I talk about Taika Waititi a lot for this being a romance podcast, but... I once saw Taika Waititi, he was getting interviewed on a brunch, like, YouTube channel that interviews people over brunch, and he was drinking Bloody Marys with his interviewer, and it was great. And she was like, so how do you write? Like, how do you write something that's going to be interesting and, like, a full two hours? And he said, well, I just think, like, am I bored? Then I'm like, okay, new scene. Where is it going to be? A school. I think Kathleen Woody Weiss is obviously doing the same thing, except... She is exceedingly (laughs) self-indulgent. I think she's like, all right, I'm in Restoration England. What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? I'm bored. Where am I now? I'm on the ocean. I'm on the ocean. Where am I going? I'm going to a tropical island. What's happening on the island? Everyone eats fruit for breakfast and strong tea. And rum. And rum. Okay, but I'm bored. I'm bored. I'm bored. Where am I? I'm on a pirate ship. I'm on a pirate ship. How shit. I split up the couple. How do I get them together? Ah. Kidnapping. Kidnapping. How many kidnappings? kidnapping. Twice. Our heroine is kidnapped twice. Yeah. Outrageous. Okay. Let's figure this out. Let's talk about this book in 200 page chunks, which means that two, four, six. Right? Okay. So the first 200 pages will take us through the inception of the plot, restoration England, and to the ocean. Let's okay. talk about that first chunk. Okay, that first chunk. Yeah. Wow. Right. Well. Well. There is a rape that is not named as rape in this first 200 pages. All right, Morgan. Let's, let's, let's lay some context on our listeners. This book came out in 1977. Sure. Rocky had won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Rocky had won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Kathleen Woodaways is at the height of her literary powers. Pussy bows on pussy bows on pussy bows. She can buy as many pussy bow blouses as she wants. And she does. (laughs) She fucking rolls in them pussy bows. Rayon. Polyester. Real deal silk. Anyway. So this book begins, as I mentioned, with our heroine. Shanna. Shanna. It's Shanna. Someone should say it. <laughs> Shanna. Or Shana or Shauna. But Shanna is how it's whatever, we're... So it's whatever you want it to be. We're baby. pronouncing it Shanna here. She's like a cocktail waitress at a casino. Hotel bar. <laughs> anyway, and she's in this awful marriage plot that her father has devised because he's growing old and he needs a male heir to take over his sugar plantation on his tropical unnamed island, Los Calamos. So she goes to (laughs) England, and she hatches this plot, which I already mentioned. And so she goes to Newgate Prison. Yeah, she decides to marry someone who has an expensive-sounding last name Mm -hmm. so that she can get the last name, tell her dad she was married. Boo-hoo. He died. So she goes to this prison, meets a strangely handsome, well-named stranger. He's not handsome when she first meets him, though. He's super gross. The book really 
Homegirl likes her descriptive language. He's dirty. There's dirt underneath his fingernails. He has a beard massive onto his chest. Yeah. He is emaciated. Because he's been in prison for eight weeks. Yeah. Also, he's been falsely imprisoned uh-huh. for murdering a woman that he did not murder. And he's got, like, a, he's a bit of a spitfire. Yeah, because he's been imprisoned wrongfully. And I want to say, I think this is one of the more interesting points of the book, is that at the beginning, it's ambiguous if he's guilty or innocent. Of course, he says he's innocent, but... It doesn't matter to Shanna. That's true. And also she 100% doesn't believe him. Yeah. And no one does. We're never given a reason to believe that he did not murder this girl. Other than it seems weird. That he would be a romantic hero if he murdered murdered a woman and forgetting pregnant by him. Yeah. A bar wench. Mm -hmm. Anyway, she strikes the deal. She has a very loyal manservant who helps her with this. And then... Pitney. Pitney. Scottish. He's so good. The real father figure of this story. I love a good big Scott. I love in a, my romance novel. I have yet to meet one I dislike. I also really love a real father figure, like one who's unafraid to be like, you're brave, you're beautiful, I love you, do the thing that you need to do. Mm-hmm. So I love Pitney. Anyway, he helps her. Productive boundaries as well. Right. He always steps out at the right moment. Right. Which is also a plot device. Anyway, Pitney helps her get Pretty this. deft plot device. It is really good. Gets this guy out of prison for like mm-hmm. 24 hours so that she can marry him yeah. at this church. Yeah. And the only condition condition that our gentleman Jean Rurik Beauchamp sets he's going to be hung for a crime he didn't commit in 14 yeah. days is that you have to have sex with me I want to be your husband in every way for 24 hours mostly I just want to bang you before yeah. I die her proposal is I'm going to make your last days in prison comfortable by providing you with like delicious food and Wine. blankets and things like that and he's like no just because she is so beautiful she is bursting at the seams with that loveliness she's bursting at the seams but only where it counts because (laughs) goddamn her slim ribs do i have fat ribs be honest you do not have fat ribs do i have fat ribs you have fat tits (laughs) shut up (laughs) you're bursting at the seams where it counts morgan oh my god God, my, my tiny ribs are barely able to hold, hold up, up my gigantic bazungas. Not unlike Shanna. Whose Her, tits are massive. They're described as amber globes at one point. Do you know that scene in 40-Year-Old Virgin where he describes boobs as bags of sand? I'm like, Kathleen Woody Wise, have you ever touched your own breasts or look at your own breasts? Because her descriptions of breasts are so ham-fisted and stupid. They're always so, like, turgid. You know what I mean? They're just, like, stiff all the time. I'm like, breasts and penises are different. (laughs) They are just... She's like, two big <laughs> gleaming headlights, <laughs> stiff and heavy. <laughs> or if anyone's like voluptuous, she describes their breasts as ponderous. Which, by the way, <laughs> if you look up the definition of ponderous on your Amazon Kindle, it says unwieldy large. <laughs> Swinging clumsily, her ponderous bosoms. At one point, she describes a woman, her ponderous bosoms are floating in a pond with the dark nipples sticking upwards like short-fused bombs. (laughs) So... (laughs) 1977 was a heady time. I'd like to return to the bargain. A body part needs to be stiff because Um, if you're wealthy, you want to do cocaine off of it. (laughs) John Warwick 
Beauchamp. Untie your pussy bow. Says, <laughs> I want to fuck you. Yeah. He says, that's my condition. And she says, fine, anything. Yeah. But she doesn't mean it. Yeah. She tries to trick him. She's got a plan. Right. She's wily. She is wily. She's a wily coyote. So should we describe that scene, which is like yeah. really off-putting? Yeah. So he gets a makeover. First of all, there's a really charming makeover scene. It is. It feels like a montage. I love makeover scenes. Preach. I feel so cheated. You know, I got so mad at the Christmas Prince mm. because they set it up like they're going to do mm-hmm. a full-on Princess Diaries makeover. Mm-hmm. And then they didn't. And I walked out. I, I agree. That movie's so bad. Room. Oh, my God. I anyway. was just really deflated. Come back to Jean-Rourke Beauchamp, please. So he gets a makeover, and as he's getting shaved, the bar wench who was mm-hmm. sent up to make him over and was initially, like, really scared of him is like, whoa. You're super hot. Your jawline. Hunk alert. Hunk alert. And Pitney is even like, what? What? <laughs> Is that your Scottish Hong Kong? Yeah, that's what that's the how Scots the Scots say, say Hong Kong. They say, oh, oh. as they readjust their sporans. Iron brew. Anyway, so they go get married, and then he's like, uh, "Time to pay up, Shauna." Yeah, they're in a carriage. They get away with their ruse, right? For this very nice country priest and his wife, mm-hmm. who I think I'm meant to dislike. But you I are don't. meant to dislike, but I don't. That's fine. You don't have to. Anyway, I they lie to them. Patooties. I don't know that they're cutie patooties. They feel like very much Mr. Collins from Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Anyway, so they lie to the priest. They get away with it. Then there's this moment, and it's raining, and they're going back to London from this month in the carriage. They're and alone together. They're not, though, because like this is the moment where you're like, oh, maybe John Rourke Beauchamp is a bad dude yeah. because Pitney is going to get in the carriage with them, and then Rourke puts his like foot to that dude's chest and is like, like, I am claiming my fucking right and, and this bargain and, like, kicks him out of the carriage and he's like, my lady. And Shayna's all like, I guess it's okay. And Penny's like, well, maybe she has a picnic basket in there. And that's yeah. what he's talking about. Right. <laughs> and then he, like, Pitney gets Not on right. top of the carriage in the rain and then Beauchamp and Shayna are alone in the carriage and he's like, fucking let's get it on. Yeah. And she's like, no. No. That wasn't, I don't want to do that. I'm sorry. And then he's like, you lied. We're getting it on. And like, here's here's the moment where it's like, I understand it's the trope of no, no, yes, which I guess is like a thing in 1977 and certainly not in our moment. She doesn't say yes. Ever. Ever. But her body is said to yield. Yeah. And it does describe a really painful, violent yep. penetration. That she somehow is excited about. Yeah. And then it gets disrupted. They were initially supposed to go to an inn and have a romantic night together. And Shanna set up a ambush by the prison guards to retake him before they got to the hotel. Or the inn, rather. And he's like, nope. We're going to do this in the carriage. He could not wait a moment longer. And he rapes her. And then... For like 11 seconds. He does not complete. Nobody does. Nobody does. And he's taken out. He's arrested. He's super angry about it. He's like screaming in the rain. And he... And she like feels to, bad. She feels bad. Boo-hoo. Um, he continues to scream in the rain, even as the rain ceases to be because he's in prison. Mm-hmm. He starves himself. Pitney keeps bringing him really lovely picnic <laughs> Pitney's really nice. Pitney doesn't know what happened. Pitney kind of has a sense of yeah, what happened. Yeah, but he also kind of has a sense that Shanna's a little spitfire. She's a little pistol, so she probably deserved it. She needs to meet her match. 
match. She needs to meet her match. And uh, anyway, it's not just a debtor's prison. It's a full-on murderer's prison. So Rurik is supposed to be executed within right. a week. But instead... He's sold into slavery. As the fates would have it, Ralston, her father's, father's steward, steward, is supposed to get indentured servants. And he's not supposed to get any murderers. Goes and gets some murderers because they're cheap as fuck. Yeah, he gets Rurik. They, uh, Pitney goes and is supposed to confirm that he was executed and he's like yeah i guess that's him because there was a closed casket yeah and shanna shanna and rurik end up on the same boat yep with a very horny frenchman as the captain right who she fends off very ably for three weeks Mm -hmm. that it takes to get to her father's island this is the frenchiest frenchman who ever frenched fair i was offended for the French. It was 1977. Anyway. <laughs> that ta- basically takes us to page 200. They land on the island. She doesn't know he's alive slash on the island. Yeah. He knows she is. Yeah, because he's he seen her. her. He and grew back his beard, so she's like, who is this guy? Whatever. He's right. so strong and he's like, sterling he's and like a, handsome. He's like, like a, a sun god. I guess he's just like a regular bondsman. <laughs> bondsman! They don't use the word slave. They don't, even until though that's what it is. They're indentured age servants. Four hundred. Yeah, they're indentured servants. They can technically earn their freedom. Also, there's like I want to talk about the race element in this, but like pin in that. Coming back to it. Yeah. They land on the island. She tells her dad, oh, "I got married, and then he died in a strange carriage accident, and I'm not pregnant." Wah wah. Well, Sorry, dad. Yeah. And he's, like, really upset, but also, like... Well, we've talked about this before, how widowhood yeah. is your gateway to independence. Right. And Shanna realizes that yep. She realizes the only way she's going to be able to marry someone for love right. is if she has previously married someone for the regular reasons, reasons. I guess. Of breeding and chattel. Because her father began his life as the son of a highwayman. Mm-hmm. And he came into his wealth via... Shrewd bootstrapping. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's very Reagan. It is. It is an extremely Reagan-esque book. To keep going with the bootstrapping, our man, (laughs) Jean Rorick, who loses Beauchamp because our Shauna, Shana, Shanna, has begun styling herself as Widow Beauchamp. So now our hero goes by Jean Rorick. He begins immediately to fix all of the inefficiencies on the sugar plantation island. So he comes up with a new logging scheme. He comes up with a better way to burn the cane that's safer for the workers. He's a master craft craftsman engineer who's way really good with horses really good with horses he's always has his shirt off and he's wearing flip-flops for some reason and like he's wearing like cut off white shorts and she always talks about the white shorts like his ass fills out these shorts i always thought about those pictures of john ham walking around with his without his underpants on you mean john ham's ham john ham's ham i was like that's what it probably looks like i imagined it as brendan fraser in george of the jungle and that scene with the horses with his long flowing hair and uh-huh. his ass filling out those cutoffs he yeah john rurick has long flowing hair yeah super sunny golden touched tan beautiful human yeah so it comes to light probably around page 300 ish that john rurick the engineer craftsman extraordinaire horseman whisperer this is genius how he tricks her into binding out who he is he trains her really unwieldy stallion attila to come to him when he whistles and so Shanna is out riding. She's On the beach a- at dawn. Yeah. This book is a sandals commercial. It is. There are so many white netting canopies. Yep. There are so many candles. There's so, so many, many beach horses. horse rides. 
taking up sand and mm. surf. Everyone's wearing like nothing, the least that they can to hide their golden globed breast to kiss hair. <laughs> I wish I had hair that people talked about. You could. Anyway, <laughs> he whistles for her horse when she's riding one day. Uh-huh. And Attila comes immediately because he likes Rook so much. Yep. Little traitor. Yeah, seriously. And she's like, fuck you. Why are you, you doing here? How are you alive? La, la, la. And like, Don't touch me. <laughs> that is 100% what she said. Yeah. And, she's, and he's like, no. This is him touching her thighs a bunch. But, like, to get her back on the horse. like And, like, this is the strange... Ostensibly. Ostensibly. This is a strange move that this book makes. So we have this non-consensual sex act in the carriage that is, like, really strangely violent, not sexual, or titillating. It feels really no, weird and disharmonious. I wonder... Because a rape fantasy is a very normal thing for a woman to have. Yep. And so I don't want to yuck any yums. But I will say it made me really uncomfortable and nervous. Agreed. But, like, this is the the <laughs> turn that the book makes. So we have this, like, scene that feels, like, really discordant. Yeah. And then after that, all of the touching that happens is 100% on Shana Shana Shauna's terms. Like... Don't touch me. Rourke immediately stops. Don't leg me up onto my horse. He, like, doesn't touch her. Yeah. And, like, that is an amazing move for this book to take in that moment. So then, like... For the next hundred pages, Shana 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 is wrestling <laughs> with the idea of like keeping her word to this man to sleep with him. And yeah. she's like super aroused. There are a ton of like nights where he's weird. always there. He always shows up in her private moments. All the time. And like there's so many fucking pages where like she wake wakes up in a sweat aroused yeah, with yeah. like the lips of her lady bits like engorged. This book never says anything remotely that specific that's true her velvety woman yeah her velvety womanness was like inflamed was warm (laughs) (laughs) this is not a very explicit book no (laughs) no god i wish it had said something more explicit anyway so about page 400 she decides that she has to keep her word because she can't live like this any longer she can't Uh be tortured by the idea that he's like lurking and even though he's not pressing her now he might at any time or expose her to her father i mean read it however you want showing up at breakfast because he's an time. engineer who's like her dad asks yeah, him there. Yeah, he's got a good excuse. He's, he's got a made lot of good ex- indis- a good little excuse to show up at breakfast. He's indispensable to the island. Like mm-hmm. everybody loves him, blah blah blah. God, it's so Reagan. It is very Reagan. So, she's like I'm going to I'm going to fuck you and that'll be the end of it and like we're not going to worry about it and you're not going to get me pregnant. Shows up at his little cabin, sets a bunch of candles and mood lighting. Pitney shows up to like give them a bottle of chilled champagne. Yeah, uh her lady maid. Mm-hmm. She's not a lady, but she's Dutch. No, not the Dutch one, the Scottish one. Hergis. Hergis helps her. Right. Also, it doesn't make any sense that any of why her servants Why do we servants... have two? Why do we have the Dutch one and the Scotch one? Also, why are they both white in the Caribbean? The only person of color in the book is Jason, who's the disapproving butler. Who she loves. 
who she loves. She's always trying to make him happy by showing up on time. Yep. She's very punctual with Jason. Mm-hmm. It's weird that he's the only person of color in the Caribbean. Yeah. And you don't realize it because they don't mention into like the 500th page that, that Jason is. That he has is caramel black. skin. Anyway, weird. But she shows up at his cabin and like doesn't tell him, which is also really weird about this sex scene because she's like, she like lights. Surprise! Yeah. She lights his cabin. She's let herself in. There's like shit chilling. And she's like, I'm going to fucking do you. What do you think about that? Here I am in the tub. <laughs> I didn't want to use my own tub. So I brought a tub to your fucking shack. To your shack. Ooh, here I am in the tub. Right. She's constantly slowly drawing sponges along her limbs. It's really, really hot in the Caribbean. It is summertime. It is. It's super hot. But also, I feel like the book talks about her with glistening sponges and taking baths a lot and it made it's me so wish hot. it was hot and that I could take a bath with a sponge. It's cold in Chicago right now. It's Glisteners. cold. King. Anyway, so they have sex and the scene is like strangely chaste in that it's like a pretty essential fade to black. Like she takes off her like sweet white little nightgown and he touches her amber globes of breasts which are candlelit. turgid and stiff. Like his penis. That's him poking her boob. And it sounds like sawdust. (laughs) And then they fall asleep in each other's arms and it's nice. And she like feels like she's discharged her vow, which is great. She's like, I've done what I've done my part. And she leaves and he's like, I'm in love with you. And she's like, nah, I'm going to keep doing me. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? She falls in love with him. Well, then what happens? After she falls in love with him? I mean, she's not admitting from pages 400 to 500 that she's in love with him. She knows that her body is enamored of his body. Yeah. So she has lots of hot dreams. She finds out that he's like standing outside her bedroom window at night in his little white shorty shorts. Watching her sleep. Watching her because, sleep. Because like he's afraid for her for some his reason. furry chest. Oh God, yeah. He wears a carpet on his chest. Yeah, that's probably why he doesn't want to wear a shirt. That'd be way too hot. He's basically Chewbacca. I kept thinking he's very Burt Reynolds, and I was spot on. Can I tell you something? About the bear and Burt Reynolds? I super like that naked picture of Burt Reynolds from Cosmopolitan. Can I tell you something really hilarious? And like... And I also love Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, Burt Reynolds. Super good. such a crush. So, you know, that bear picture of Burt Reynolds Mm -hmm. naked on the bear. I don't know if you know about this, listeners. Anyway, my brother-in-law can grow a strange amount of Burt Reynolds facial hair. Like, his ability to grow... Yeah. Mustache. Yeah. Like, facial hair is insane. And Mm -hmm. they live in Montana in the Flathead Valley, as we've mentioned in previous episodes. (laughs) And the way that he proposed to my sister was on a bearskin rug with a mustache like that. Naked. Okay. (laughs) You don't have to make me feel weird about what I like. I know, like, you don't know what my brother-in-law looks like. That's true. He might look weird. He's a fish biologist. He's very attractive. Vin, you're very attractive. I don't want to see you naked, but good job. Um, yeah, I like, I like. Furry dudes? I like Burt Reynolds. I Do you like furry dudes? I don't want to say I like furry dudes because I think I also like unfurry dudes. But I like Burt Reynolds. What about Burt Reynolds' masculinity that you like that John Rurick Beauchamp also represents? So I can think of a difference. All right, let's talk about the difference. I think the difference is... God, is there a difference? Yes. Because Rurick has also got that little mischievous glint in his eye. He does. I like... 
Burt Reynolds' sense of humor mm-hmm. and sense of mischief. Mm-hmm. I Rorick has and those I think things. he doesn't take himself very seriously. I think mm-hmm. Rorick takes himself very seriously. I agree. And Rorick is good at, at everything. Yes. Whereas I think Burt Reynolds is willing to be silly. Or yeah. Rorick is, like, less willing to be silly, and maybe it's because he was wanted for murder that he didn't commit. Like, here's the thing that I, like, love about Burt Reynolds, Rorick, and I would go ahead and throw Rhett Butler into this. <gasps> Clark Gable. Yeah. Clark Gable specifically, that kind Come of mustache. On, it's Clark Gable. Duh. It's not Rhett Butler. Sure. Okay. Clark Gable. Okay, because I've got some beef with Rhett Butler. That's fine. That mischievous glint, that sort of long suffering dark tall dark tall but it's like it's that scene where he's waiting for her at the bottom of the stairs and he's already laughing at the joke she hasn't told and for me like that's Rorik in a nutshell he's like I know you inside and out I know you better than you know yourself which is a trope that I'm not super into but like this book trades on in a way that is charming because Rorik does know her and he doesn't want to cage tame or rein her in Mm -hmm. he just wants to ride alongside her yeah and like that is essentially Rhett Butler waiting at the bottom of the stairs yeah I don't know what trouble awaits it's essentially Burt Reynolds yes yeah exactly sneaking around with you is I think the ultimate love song it's up there it's just about stuff you like right and you just have it friendship it never changes. Right. It's the admiration of what you already are and knowing what you could be. Before anyone says so, I already own the throw pillows. <laughs> All I'm saying is that <laughs> this book trades on that kind of masculinity. A masculinity that isn't threatened by a strong woman who knows mm, her mind. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah, Burt yeah. Reynolds and Rhett Butler in that moment at the bottom of the stairs <gasps> represent that kind of masculinity. One that isn't threatened by a strong... Yeah woman and like that's fucking hot as hell yeah clark gable Mm. do you want to know my favorite clark gable story so during the filming of gone with the wind Mm -hmm. there's that scene where melanie is grievously ill yeah and they have to get out of atlanta right she's just delivered this awful birth i'm remembering the book yes really it's harrowing the book is Deeply traumatizing to read when you're in the fifth grade. Indeed. I mean, really, at any time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Olivia de Havilland, who is 90 pounds soaking wet, yeah. um, ties a 50-pound weight to her person in, during the scene that Clark Gable is supposed to effortlessly lift this little wayfish body mm-hmm. and deposit her into the wagon. Yeah. And she does it as this like hilarious practical joke yeah. to be like, ha ha ha, you're not as strong as you think you are. Yeah. And so like he tries to lift her with this weight and like can't. And there's this moment where he looks at her and he goes, I do believe you ate more than one croissant this morning, Olivia. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, oh, Clyde. Do it, Clark Gable voice. I do believe. <laughs> I do believe you, you ain't, ain't more than one croissant this morning. morning, Olivia. Just a little farm boy from Pennsylvania with a terrible lisp who and some teeth. wealthy widow saw potential in, fixed his teeth, got him speech therapy, and got him in. It happened one night. Oh, what a movie. Also, he loved Carol Lombard so much. He loved her so much. So much. And then she died, and it was so sad. However, hold on. This is coming back. 
he famously raped one of his co-stars. Ugh, which one? And he got her pregnant. I can't remember which one. It was a BuzzFeed article, of course. BuzzFeed ruining dreams. But her child wrote about it. Mm. And she was an actress. She was on the up and up. She was very Catholic and very famously chaste. And her and uh, Clark Gable were filming a movie in, like, Alaska. And she was very flirty with him. He was very flirty with her. You know, they had good chemistry on set and stuff. I'm just like, being flirty, I think, is just part of keeping up a romantic. I imagine. I've never acted in a movie. I was Audrey. (laughs) (laughs) Audrey, how'd you get that china? How'd you get that china? Uh, So anyways, they're on the train back to Los Angeles. And she talks about how he, like came into her cabin and raped her and she became pregnant by it and she gave up her career to have this secret baby and got married to someone who she was seeing before and like started her life and everything and it wasn't until the 80s she was watching Dateline with her family and they introduced the term date rape which I think we should all remember this woman did not hear until Dateline in the 80s she must be if she was in the 20s 60s at yeah. this point and she says oh my god that's what clark did to me yeah i think that's one of the things about reading shana 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 from 1977 and being in our current moment so this is yeah. 40 years old and the way in which non-consensual sex is talked about mm-hmm. it's like it's just a thing that women endure or happen upon mm-hmm. and the way in which women are blamed for it yeah is insidious. All of the men blame Shayna Shana Shana for it. Yeah, everyone. She blames herself. Yes. And, however, there is this hue of, like, her body yields. Right. Is that a way of reclaiming this traumatic experience and saying, oh, I liked it, just to cope? Do you think the novel is trying to cope with this insidiousness and this continuousness by saying, oh, it was something that was pleasurable, was something that I wanted. I think like that's the disgusting thing that is being said about women's consent right now where it's like oh if you know you enjoyed it in any way or if your body's natural defenses of lubrication like went into effect like that means that you enjoyed it or if you didn't scream loud enough or if you didn't fight back or if you didn't scratch his face. But I'm talking about this book I'm thinking about the text I and think how this, Kathleen Woody Weiss is rationalizing and how Shanna is rationalizing. I think this text is operating in that field. Yeah. Where it's like, her body didn't say no. But do you think it's operating in the same field as if to say, bad thing happened, your fault? Or is it operating in a field of saying, bad thing wasn't really a bad thing. You shouldn't feel like it was a bad thing. Because you liked it, right? So it's okay. It's fine. I think it's you liked it right, right? There's a question mark in that scene that is never truly answered in the book outside of the fact that, like, she comes to love Rorik. And he never does anything like that again, which I think is a strange and perhaps subconscious work of this book to say that what happened in the beginning isn't the way that it should be between two adults who love each other. The fact that he never touches her again without her explicit permission and yeah. that he seeks it even when he's putting her onto the horse that he has, like, made his own. Yeah. I think is really strangely telling about this fucking magnum opus. Like, 666 pages of, like, moments where her body isn't her own. She's abducted twice. Like, whatever. But, like, never again does John Rourke Beauchamp 
ever intrude upon her person. And I think that is strange and telling about this text. And I think it's, I think it's strange and telling. I have the feeling that it is meant to say, he's not a bad person. Yes. What happened to you isn't bad. Maybe. That's what I think. Maybe I think it's what a way happened of rationalizing to you, a really difficult world. Maybe. I don't know what it's doing. That, like people It's complicated. This it's is a complicated, so complicated work. Complicated. And I mean we talked about like the overabundance of places and details. The fact that a sex scene never has an anatomical detail in it. Like a There are real a lot one. of fade to black listeners. There are a lot of fade to black. God, in this I want to read. Can I yes, read one of the do. sex scenes? Because I really want to drive this point home. Let's see if I can find one. Keep talking while I'm looking. So um, they're on the island. They have sex. Everything's like beautiful and great. He's already in love with her and she's like, I'm done. I've scratched the itch. Mm-hmm. And then pirates descend. I feel like... Pirates want to hurt her. Pirates want to hurt her. Rape is really common. And also like ever present as a threat and fear, which he's not going to let her do. So he kills the pirate king and like installs himself in a place of supremacy to protect her personhood. Yeah. A female character gets murdered mm-hmm. while pregnant as well. And there's a lot of description of the way Rourke looks at her as leering, but a leering that she enjoys. And that is throughout the book. Yeah. She feels a little hot under the collar whenever he leers. Leer is a weird word choice there. And it always is the choice. Yeah, it is. He is definitely scoping her out in a way that is surveillance and not sexy. I think it speaks a lot that it's so hard for me to find find a a love scene because I did not highlight or dog ear any of them. I oftentimes highlight them for this podcast and just for the podcast. They were surprisingly unsexy. Yeah, because it's nothing. This book also ends in a pregnancy, dear listeners. And twin, birth twins. Yeah. Because she's so fertile. Also, like, they need a boy and a girl for the balance of who they are as people. I think it looks like I'm going to get the love scene. The first one? No, the... Pirate one? The... Do you want the pirate one? Whichever one. All of them are strangely unsexy. Yeah. Oh, he always threatens. He's like, if when they're in the pirate's den, he's like, I'm not a rapist. But if you keep up with this bodice type shit, I'll have to rape you. I'm sorry, Shanna. I'll have to do it. And it's also, I would say, more BDSM shit than priest. priest. He leads her around on a silk leash. She's wearing constrictive clothing until she bursts out of it. Because she's pregnant. He's constantly threatening to rape her. In front of the pirates so that they and don't. And also in private. That's true. There's a real bring to heel moment here. Yeah. Exactly. Unenjoyable. Yeah, I did not enjoy the sex stuff, but there are moments that I enjoy in this book. I mean, it's syrupy. Like, this book takes its time to describe its settings, to describe its characters. Everyone is hot all the time because they're in the Caribbean, except when they're in Restoration England. Or Virginia, where it's also cold, but then they're covered in furs. Right, which is super sexy. Yeah. A great weariness had come over Rorick in the quiet of the cottage. The battle of Sheena's attention suddenly seemed inane and pointless. She ever welcomed the considerations of other men and ever rejected his. The labors in the heat of the day, as well as the party, had sapped his strength and his mood plunged into the 
blackest depths of the despair. He lay naked across his bed in the unlit room and stared upward into the darkness. His mind was numb and the very air he breathed seemed heavy and oppressive. His eyes closed and wispy, fog-like tendrils of slumber drifted about him. It was as if he stood in a dense mist while colored lanterns moved about beyond his sight and a light, bright beacon flamed a light and he <laughs> hastened toward it until he came to a stone-walled garden sunlit and barren but for a single stem which bore a rose of such beauty as to make him halt for breath so that's them having sex <laughs> here's another one the storm could have been contained in the room and they would have given it no heed there was between them that storm of passion that blinded as surely as the greatest stroke of lightning and deafened their ears as completely as a crashing roll of thunder close about. Each touch was fire, each word was bliss, each movement in their union a rhapsody of passion that rose and built until it seemed that very instrument in all the world combined to bring the music of their souls into a consuming crescendo that left them still and quiet Warm like the softly glowing after coals of a universal holocaust. <laughs> Sentence one complete. Shanna lay limp and drowsy on his arm. Because they finished. That was them coming. Them coming the universal was a universal holocaust. Shanna lay limp and drowsy on his arm. Her cheeks still flushed with the gentle blush of pleasure. Her breath softly stirring the furriness on his chest. I like that detail. Had the world beat at their door, Rurik doubted. Rurik, why can't I say that word? Rurik. Rurik doubted that he could have lifted a finger for their defense. With stupendous effort, he turned his head and buried his face in her hair, savoring the fragrance of it. So that, ladies and gentlemen, was a sex scene. 1977 <laughs> was a strange time. There's no nipples. There's no tongues. There's no limbs. There's no thrusting. There's no thrusting. There's no size even. Like the body is utterly removed. Yeah. There's a universal hug. <laughs> I don't think that means what you think it means, Kathleen Widowis. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, is that a marker of its time? Is that the way in which women perceive sex? Is that... I don't know. I don't, we haven't read any other romance novels from the 70s, and so it's difficult to say. She's a lioness in her field. It's a, it's a really prudish way. By my, by my 2018 perceptions, it's a very prudish way to talk about sex. It does feel its age. And somehow, like, worse... Because I want to remind you, she describes an orgasm as feeling like a universal holocaust. It lit all of her nerve endings on fire. It doesn't say that even. It doesn't. It doesn't talk about nerve endings. Yeah, it is strangely abstract. Yeah, there is no body. Yes. There is no body in the sex, except whenever she is feels pain in the and carriage. And then it is very bodily focused. Yeah. They don't even talk about his body, other than his furry chest and, like, the afterglow of coitus. Mm, she talks about whenever he takes off his shirt at one point, she's like, her breath is taken away by his torso. That's pre-coitus. There's no body in coitus. Right, Exactly. There Either of them. Just two souls igniting. We talk a lot about bodies, but outside of the sex scenes, it's, That's all, weird. it's all like food and how they eat their food, which I think is deeply bodily. Your preferences and your consumption. Of toast? 
of toast, conspicuously bodily. But like, she eat a lot of toast. She eats a lot of toast. She drinks a lot of black tea. I love the part where she is offended by the guy preparing proper English tea and adding a bunch of cream and sugar to it. So Morgan, womance or nomance? I want to talk about what you thought was the sexiest scene in the book. Mm. What did I think was the sexiest scene in the book? Can I read my sexiest mm-hmm. scene in the book? They're in the garden, so they've decided that they love each other because they've gotten away from the pirates and they're still carrying on their secret romance on Los Camelos. And they've gone into the garden together and they haven't had any interaction for, I think, three days. And says, Rurik raised his eyes to meet hers and time trembled to a halt. Shanna's hand rested gently on his shoulder and almost hungrily he searched her face for some sign. We stood motionless, touching, yearning, longing, and those soft curving lips seemed to draw him closer, closer. Shanna let out a breath in a rush. Nervously, she stepped backward and rubbed her hand as if it still tingled from touching him. So much body and so much sensation in that which is missing from all of the sex scenes and like also very vivid. You can see them like staring into each other's eyes and that kind of barrier becomes real and also interesting Mm -hmm. in a romantic way. Whereas before the barrier between them was just kind of complicated. So this is after they've just made love for the first time. She teased him like a vixen, tempted him with her softness, made love with him as openly as if she were a cherished wife. Her effect on him was total and complete, devastating when wanting her only led him to frustration and agony of mind and body, beautiful when they joined in love, and she was his for a time, for a space. The fragrance of her perfume filled his brain, and her lovely curving form nestled close against him. A warm, soft thigh resting casually between his, her arm flung out across his chest. She moved against him, and her breath was a warm tickling at the base of his neck. Her lips touched there, and as he looked down, she drew back, her eyes smiling into his. Their lips met and met again, as if each kiss were sweeter than the one before. And that's romance, folks. That's romance, folks. That's why Kathleen Woodawise yeah. is a grand dame. Yeah. That stuff right there. It's tender. It's tender. But guess what? It's not a sex scene. It's not. It's a post-coital moment where they're both basically asleep. Yeah. But like the very next scene, she's like, I got to get up, yo. Yeah. Goodbye. It's dawn. Yeah. Which is, you know, alluring in its own way. Indicative of a forbiddenness. I guess. But it's also, I don't know, that same descriptiveness, that same physicality is not present in the love scenes. At all. It's so abstract. The they're just scenes, rather. Souls touching souls in like a fade to black. And then they wake and up like in each a other's bunch arms. Of like progressively worse metaphor. Yes. Universal Holocaust? Uh, dude, I don't even know what to do with that. And it's just, you know, but you can see why she became as popular as she yes. was because there are those gleaming moments where you just get lost in the text. And the rest of the time you could read one sentence per paragraph because this is enormous. It is the Moby Dick of Kathleen Woodweiss's catalog. What's the weirdest scene for you? It's one of the scenes on the pirate island mm-hmm. where like he's like really verbally abusive and like his transition from careful bodily protector to intense captor slash king of pirates is weird. And uncomfortable. Also, all of the descriptions of her father are weird. I made a note that Captain Dupree was the Jar Jar Binks of this book. Yes. 
That is right. Thank you. I feel legitimized. You are right. His like dialogue is all written no, with like Z's. Yeah. And he's French. As French as French can be. I feel, I feel strangely defensive of this French stereotype as a note I have in here. Oh, yeah. It was all Rurik could do to hold in check the urges that flooded him and to keep himself from simple rape. What is simple rape? What is simple rape? If only you weren't dead, Kathleen, you could tell us. What is simple rape? Internalized misogyny is real. For sure. And, like, that's one of the weird things about this book and, like, its moment in 1977. So, like, you have the failed Equal Rights Amendment. You have, like, a lot of things going on as far as, like, Title IX and all this. But, like, that moment in particular, simple rape, I think, explicitly says something about, like, rape rape or, like, what it is to catalog the legality of sexual assault. Yeah. And, like, that's the conversation that she's having in this book. And she insists that he's never committed simple rape, air right. quotes, before. But he has. Yes. He, he, At the very he, beginning he, of this novel, yeah. the very first scene. Here's some great descriptions. She describes breasts as amber melons and seafoam. Mm, seafoam. That feels really accurate. My weirdest moment in the book is when the book enters the perspective of the horse. Mm. Attila. Here it is. No, it enters the perspective of Jezebel, her second horse, which is a gift from, guess what? There are no problems in this book because Beauchamp is actually the Beauchamp of the English aristocracy and the Virginia aristocracy. And he writes a letter to his brother to bring him all these fancy gifts for his girlfriend on a boat. And he does it. And he brings her a horse named Jezebel. And we enter Jezebel's perspective. In a paragraph, there's an inter-paragraph shift in perspective. Jezebel had been confined to a stall on the deck of a ship for the sea voyage, and at this freedom she stretched her legs out in an exhilarating run. Finding herself at last in a succulent field, she paused to graze a bit. The silent figure on her back sat motionless, sick with an ache that nodded her heart. That is Shanna, and that is how we re-enter. There is horsepective in this book. It is a mid-paragraph shift. This book does all sorts of weird shit. It's impossible to pick a weirdest moment in this book. I agree. It is fucking weird as fuck. Or the fact that the family continues the charade. That he is an indentured servant. An indentured servant. Slave. Bondsman. Slave. After he arrives in Virginia, staying at their home. And that Shanna doesn't figure it out. Immediately, once his brother showed up on Los Camelos, I was like, okay, so he's actually super wealthy. Which is fascinating. Like, this book refuses interesting problems that are presented to it. I'm going to call it a womance. I think it's too uh, ex machina for me. (gasps) I don't know why I reacted so strongly. (laughs) I'm going to say, like, it's a no-mans in that way. It's too ex machina or... yeah. Do's ex machina. Not enough sex machina <laughs> and too much ex machina. Like they're constantly saved in these like like wildly improbable ways. And like romance is already a genre that like tends toward the improbable. Yeah, yeah. And like this one just like kind of jumps the shark for me in a couple of particular ways. I really do like Shana Shana Shana. I want to see more heroines like her because I think she's like distinctly unlikable in a lot of particular ways. Mm -hmm. And I also really like that John, after his initial 200 pages of like dumb fuckery, like turns it around into like this explicit, I take pride and joy in who and what you are. Yeah. I think those are great. But like... 
the fact that he is this wealthy landowner in Virginia and like her dad suddenly is okay and, and like, like I wish you'd married the bond slave. I'm yeah. so glad he knocked you up. Yeah, I'm like, no. They just no, like no. no. Also, like it never deals particularly with like any kind of race politics and like the fucking Caribbean yeah. in 1677. Yeah. I'm like, it's, it's oh weird that it doesn't. There is briefly a mention of a character in the briefly. I mean, he was a big deal in the pirate's den on Mare's Head Island who is named Mother mm-hmm. because he was castrated by her father when he was a bond slave. And it's just constantly like, oh my God, enjoy your freedom while it lasts, John Rourke. Like, Because otherwise you, you could right end thing. up like this. Yeah, which is weird. deeply true and yet never acknowledged yeah. that this girl's father has ownership over his body. And also one of the ways they fix the fact and that he's been, like, he's been accused of murder is that his uncle is just like, no, I'm a wealthy landowner in England and I say my nephew did not commit murder. And everyone's like, okay, good enough. And the book acts like that's a really satisfying resolution. Totally. Like this girl is no less dead. Yeah. There is still a murderer afoot. Like what's going on? Yeah. The whole thing. Like, and that's why I'm going to go ahead and say no man's. I just think it's so weird and wonderful. And you guys know I love a good, weird, and wonderful romance. It's not as good as Beast. If you're going to read a weird one, I'm going to recommend Beast. Or Priest. Or Priest. Priest, I don't think it was that weird to me. Priest was nothing but right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, tell us what you think, romance listeners. Yeah, there's so many ways to talk to us. Please talk to us. Through our Instagram, our website, our Twitter. Our We're going to do stuff with it. Don't worry. Our email. Uh, let us know what you think about the Titaness of romance. Did we read the wrong Kathleen Woodwise? Did I pick the wrong one? I, I probably did. I'm a newbie. So correct I'm us. a neophyte. We'll read what you want God, us to Kathleen, read. Also all of her $10 words. <laughs> she does love the English language. Yeah. All right. Thank you, romance listeners. We love you. Love you. Bye. Hey folks, it's Morgan. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Our logo is by Mary Reichman and our original music and editing is by Nick Gravelin. They're the best. Feeling woeful about waiting a whole week for more Womance? Well, chin up, buttercup. You can creep or connect with us anytime on Twitter. We're at woe underscore mance or Instagram, womance, all one word. You can also find us on Tumblr at womance.tumblr.com. If you prefer to be more direct... Why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you. And don't forget to tune in next week.